2: Considered one of the leading experts into the Roswell UFO crash of 1947, Kevin has written more than 25 books about UFOs, including the recently published Roswell in the 21st century. Now, here is the host of A Different Perspective, Kevin Randall.
3: As I promised last week, I would return, and here I am. This is A Different Perspective, and I am truly Kevin Randall. Before we bring on Larry Holcomb, who is my guest tonight, I'll have a couple of things to talk about. As you've heard, Rob McConnell has initiated the International UFO Reporting Research Center, the IUFORRC, just a couple of days ago. You can find the website at www.iuforrc.com. And for those of you who've had a sighting, there's a form there that you can fill out. I'll be serving as the lead investigator with an idea to investigate UFO sightings with an eye to gathering the proper information for a database. The the one thing that we have to point out here, and and there's an awful lot of sightings that come across the transom where there's, it's obviously Venus, it's obviously some kind of a mundane explanation. And we'll we'll look at those sightings, but we're going to not pay a lot of attention to them because they're not really UFOs. They're not really flying saucers. They are that sort of thing. They are Venus. And it is in. Incredible the number of people who mistake Venus for some kind of a a flying saucer. I remember a case not long ago where. Uh, people told me they'd seen this thing hovering near the horizon and it was shooting spotlights down into a pasture, maybe some kind of a cattle mutilation thing or not. But what they were looking at was Venus and it was tricks of the atmosphere and tricks of their eyes and the brightness of Venus that kind of uh, fooled them. And one of the giveaways as well, we didn't really see it leave, it just sort of faded away after uh, after the sun went down. And that that's you know a real clue, clue for Venus. So we'll be taking a look at that, uh, those sorts of things. And for those of you who are interested, please uh, take a look at my book, uh, Encounters in the Desert, which is about the Socorro UFO landing with Lonnie Zamora and, of course, Roswell in the 21st century. And now, for those of you who've waited patiently, I'll uh, bring on Larry Holcomb, who for over 50 years has studied the fascinating subject of UFOs. And after taking early retirement, he became seriously involved in researching what he likes to refer to as the flying saucer phenomenon, he used the term flying saucer because he finds UFOs uh, all-inclusive. And I always found uh, UFOs, as he said, all-inclusive. But flying saucers dealt with, with spacecraft. You're not talking about something that's unidentified. You're talking about something specific. So flying saucers really is kind of the better term, even though it had become pretty much a pejorative in the last 50 years. Uh, to be more precise, it is generally accepted that 90%, 95% of all UFO sightings are something prosaic mundane, whatever, and the remaining 5% cannot be explained. The problem with this is in the statistics. If these statistics are presented to the casual observer, the natural thought would be if more research is done, the remaining 5% could be explained as well. That's, of course, a false understanding. 95% becomes 100% of prosaic sightings, and the other 5% are the true UFOs, the true flying saucers. Of course, uh, flying saucers come in all shapes and sizes, not just uh, saucer-shaped. However, for clarity, flying saucer works well for Larry, works well for me. His book is The Presidents in UFOs, A Secret History from FDR to Obama. Welcome to A Different Perspective, Larry Holcomb.
4: Uh, delighted to be here, Kevin. And I, uh, I think your uh, explanation of UFOs and flying saucers is spot on. It's uh, uh, and also the mention of <laughs> of uh, the planet Venus is something that drives me crazy. It, why people <laughs> why people can't see that they're looking at a planet. It, is, it can be rather amazing at certain times of the year. Rather rather uh, uh, really sticks out. But uh, it's obvious what it is.
3: Well, the, the problem with Venus goes back into the 19th century, and if you've read um, Evan McConnell's book on uh, the Son of Morningstar, there's a point in there where Custer and the 7th Cavalry are on the Washita, and they're about to attack the Cheyenne village for really no reason whatsoever. But they um, they see this light in the sky and they think it's some kind of signal the Indians have put up, some kind of flaming arrow or something. And what they're looking at is Venus, of course. (laughs) So, I mean, it just that problem goes back forever. Uh, There was a sighting during the Great Airship of 1897 where the people in Omaha were talking about this the airship coming in and had a bright headlight on it. And I'm convinced what they were looking at was Venus as well. So there we are. Venus is the culprit here. Yeah. Uh, The book is the presidents and UFOs, a secret history from FDR to Obama. I was wondering what inspired you to write the book?
4: Well, a good question. Uh, I guess the real simple answer is um, UFOs past, present and future, the documentary that was, um, written and co-produced by uh, Robert Emmanager. Uh When I saw the documentary uh, for the first time, I was startled. Uh, it's, it is unique uh, in that it goes into the subject of UFOs without any uh, uh, counter uh, conversation. Um, uh, it obviously had the backing of the government. Uh, you just don't walk into the Pentagon with, uh, uh cameras and, uh, what have you and, and start filming without government approval. Uh, uh, Rod Serling did a tremendous job. I thought it was an excellent documentary and I couldn't get it off my mind. Consequently, I, uh, through the help of, uh, I guess it was Antonio Hunez.
3: Hunez, uh, Antonio uh, Hunez. Yes, Huneus.
4: yes. I think he sort of disappeared from the, uh, from the field. But uh, uh, in any case, he contacted. He knew Bob Immonenka. He contacted Bob. Told him, I sent. Actually, I sent Antonio an email and he forwarded on to Bob Emmenager And shortly thereafter, I got a call from Bob. Uh, we talked for probably two hours and uh, I was fascinated with this story, uh, the whole background of the thing. So we started corresponding back and forth. He sent me a lot of docu- documents and uh, of various things and uh, uh, we became friends. Uh, I ended up, my wife ended, and I ended up uh, going to, uh, my wife and I ended up going to his home in Fayetteville, Arkansas. Uh, we spent the night in his guest cottage, um, took him to dinner, had uh, really, really a good conversation with him the next day and uh, before we left. And uh, I just, uh, the idea for the book Came about, you know, when I talked to uh, talked to the people at Roswell that were at the festival when I was, uh, I guess, the first year I attended. Um, the uh, they all gave Bob uh, thumbs up and uh, Don Schmidt for one and uh, uh, a number, a number of people said that that he was he was a straight shooter. So the idea of the book formed. Um, I contacted several literary agents in New York. One got back to me and said, I really like what you've got here. But, well, let's,
3: uh, let's, let's, let's cut to the chase here.
4: Yeah.
3: You, you say it's a secret history from FDR. What did FBR, FDR know about UFOs or flying saucers?
4: Well, we only have, uh, we only have evidence that is uh, questionable. Uh, we have letters between, uh, uh, General George Marshall and FDR, uh, uh, letters from FDR back to Marshall, all concerning the subject. And I know that one of the letters said that, uh, when, um, when we were victorious because the war was going on then, obviously.
3: So you're talking about Foo Fighters at this point.
4: Uh, well, you know, you had the, uh, there's uh, the, uh, Reverend, uh, Reverend Huffman, I believe that that case,
0: the we're going family style deal, because I want a bite of your Big Mac and I need some of your quarter pound.
1: I'll try your filet of fish.
0: There's a deal for every friend group at McDonald's order. Any two classics for just six bucks. Price of participation may vary. Single item at regular price cannot be combined with any other offer.
4: Uh, Baptist minister, and he was uh, called to a plane crash in uh, Cape Girardeau This is according to his granddaughter. And yes, it- but,
3: but that that's a single witness case, and it's basically a hearsay evidence. And I'm trying to get yeah. us back to FDR here.
4: Yeah.
3: And uh-huh. uh, the discussion there. Let me. But before we go any further, we're going to have to take a break here. Okay. Uh, which comes up way too often, I think. Oh, <laughs> really? It doesn't, Rob. I'm sorry. I didn't mean that. The book is The Presidents and UFOs A Secret History from FDR to Obama. The website is uh, Larry Holcomb with an E on the end of the Holcomb.com. Uh, you can take a look at that mine of course my blog is www.kevinrandall.blogspot.com and we have discussions about all sorts of things when uh, we get done with the program here so uh, you want some more information or some places to look there's often some uh, hints of where we can you can find additional information about these sorts of things we're talking about we will be back right after this so please stick around
5: Yeah.
0: Guys, you'll never guess what my psychic guru just told me. SIMULTV.com Exactly. Are you guys psychic, too? Of course.
5: We all know about SIMULTV.com. SIMULTV.com
3: As promised, I am back with Larry, Larry Holcomb, the author of The Presidents in UFOs, A Secret History from FDR to Obama, when we took the break, we were talking about the Cape Girardeau UFO crash from uh, 1941, and I was saying that uh, I had a bit of a problem with it simply because not only is it basically single witness, it's a secondhand witness as well. So there's not a lot of good information there. Uh, could be great and authentic, but the lack of um, good corroborative information, I think, is, is a is a negative on that one. But I guess my question, Larry, is um, it would seem to me that FDR, given the, the timing of, of the documents you talk about during World War II, his interest would be in the Foo Fighters that were plaguing uh, our air operations on a global um, scale. So is, is that kind of where uh, FDR was, or is there something I'm missing?
4: I don't, um, I don't, recall anything that I've in my research where he directly talked about Foo Fighters Um, the problem is the information that I've got on FDR comes from what I consider to be a questionable source Um, well let me back up the source I've gotten uh, most of this information from is uh, Dr. Bob Wood and, uh, the documents, uh, that he has, uh, on FDR and, uh, and General Marshall. And these include the, the Battle of Los Angeles, uh, and, and, uh, but there's, you can't say for sure that these documents are not bogus. In fact, if they came from, uh, uh who I think they came from?
3: Would that uh, be Tim Cooper?
4: Tim Cooper, yeah. I think that anything that Tim Cooper was involved with is uh, is very questionable. I would uh, think
3: that if I got if, if Tim Cooper called me on the phone and said the sky was blue, I'd go out and look before I believed him. <laughs>
4: mm-hmm.
3: Well, but I don't want to say any anything disparaging about him.
4: But, anyway, I I, uh, I think that I'm I'm surprised that some of these documents have such a high level of authenticity uh, from Bob Wood. Um, that really surprises me. Well, uh, that
3: that kind of takes us in a different direction, and, and, uh, and I'm going to go there. But uh, Dr. Wood uh, is a firm believer of MJ-12, and yeah. he accepts a great number of documents about MJ-12 as being authentic, including some of those that came from Cooper. Yeah. So, um, and I think his personal bias kind of um, colors his thinking on some of that. But so, so I guess the question that I didn't want to get to right now, but is do you do you accept that uh, some of the MJ12 documents are authentic?
4: Uh, I believe uh, yes, yes, I do. I I I think that I think that's. Let me put it this way, Kevin. I think that something like MJ12 existed and probably still does um, now but,
3: but that's 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 a really a separate point yeah the question is the mj12 documents do you think those documents all of them are or some of them I, I shouldn't say all of them some, you think of, some them. of them are authentic
4: I think I think several of them are thi- authentic and um, which,
3: which ones would that be
4: uh, I think that the um, uh, SOM, what is it, SOM 1 1, the uh, Special Operations Manual, um, the only reason that I tend to believe that is the, uh, the printer that uh, at the, uh, the printed government documents uh, looked at it. And because the Ray Z, which you know what that is. Yes. I, I, I think that that adds some weight to the, that being authentic.
3: But uh, but there's there are other problems with it, uh, anachronisms that shouldn't exist, like suggesting that... Well, let, let me take a step back. For the for the audience, the Ray Zs, in, in the printing of that document, the Zs that appeared on some of the lines were slightly raised above the lines, and that seems to be a... Uh, um, something that happened in a lot of authentic documents that, that we know are, are, are government documents. So that would be a point in, toward right. its authenticity. Right. But there are anachronisms in the document. Uh, the use of suggesting satellites, a, a crashed satellite is um, uh, a, good, a good cover for a, a crashed UFO or sort of thing. In 1954, when the, this manual was supposedly printed, there were no satellites to crash.
4: No, there weren't. But I think we had the capability of launching them. The reason we didn't is because the Eisenhower administration would not let them go ahead and do it because of the U-2 incident. And he thought it would inflame the Russians.
3: Wait, wait, wait. The U-2 incident? That took place in 1960
4: uh wait a minute wait a minute i'm getting my story uh i'm getting my stories confused here um the i'm trying to think what was it It, no it wasn't the u2 it couldn't have been the u2 incident
3: no it couldn't have been because u2 is may of 1960 and uh, eisenhower went on went in front of the u.n or on in public arenas, and said, "We're not flying aircraft over the Soviet Union." Yeah. And then, of course, the Soviets trotted out Gary Powers, and he said, "Whoops." Um, I
4: really, I really need to. I need to go back and check. I can't remember, but it was, it was definitely something that we had uh, problems we had had with the Russians that uh, Eisenhower would not let them proceed. With a satellite program because he felt that the Russians would think that the satellite was a spy satellite, which is exactly what it was, or would have been. Uh, when when they put up Sputnik, Eisenhower was delighted because we could go ahead with our satellite program. But I guess what I'm saying, it was, the satellite pr- program was delayed, so there is uh we had been working on satellites. I mean, it was it was but well known. The,
3: but the problem I have with that is, if there was a a crash, and the explanation was it was a satellite that we had put up, wouldn't that have caused as much trouble with the Soviets as the as the actual satellite being launched? I mean, suddenly so well, they they're they're talking about a satellite retrieval. What what have they put up that we don't know about? It would seem to me that would cause as much trouble. Uh, as, as an actual launch? Mm.
4: Well, if we had a satellite up...
3: save
4: then it, the Russians would have been extremely suspicious of it and uh, boy I wish, uh, I, could, I wish I could go back and remember what what triggered all this with uh, with Eisenhower why Eisenhower will not let the intelligence agencies move ahead
3: well let's let's move let's move away from the manual yeah. since we've, we've hit an impasse here yeah what about the Eisenhower briefing document do you think that's authentic
4: I think that is authentic, and I think human Forest is off, and that's about as far as I can go with those documents.
3: But there's I, a fatal flaw in the Eisenhower briefing document. What's that? There's a reference to the what, El Indio Guerrero UFO crash of December of 1950. And that information came from a fellow named uh, Robert Willingham. Willingham claimed that he had been an Air Force pilot, an Air Force fighter pilot, and he had um, seen, the, seen the craft uh, in the sky, and then he went down there in a private plane and, and, and saw all of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, the problem is, Willingham was not an Air Force pilot. He was not an Air Force fighter pilot. He'd spent 13 months in the military. Um, so his story is untrue. So how does that story end up in the Eisenhower briefing document if it's authentic?
4: well uh, it's a good question Uh, I know of of the pilot and I know that he was uh, uh, he was proven to be a fake Um,
3: I would like to take credit for that by the way I proved him to be a fake
4: I think I believe reading that in fact I'm sure I did I wish I had all those documents in front of me. I should have. Been, I should have been more prepared to have those. Uh, to have those documents here, but uh, uh, there, I know that there's a, a great deal of controversy uh, over MJ12. But I, um, it's still my belief that that something like MJ12, if it was not MJ12, something like it existed.
3: Oh, I will. I will grant the point that if there was a crash of an alien craft at Roswell, something like MJ12 would have been created, to to oversee the research and the back engineering. But I'm just saying, I don't think. I think MJ. I think MJ12 is completely bogus, and I outlined most of this in the updated version of Crash uh, Crash uh, Case MJ12, which just came out uh, a few months ago. So I have have additional information on that, including an actual document with a known provenance that. Uh, is top secret and reference majestic, but it has nothing to do with UFOs. It's a logistics plan to support the troops if the Soviets decide to invade Europe. So right. I can't I can't believe that they would have two uh, top secret programs named majestic because the problems with uh, keeping all of that.
4: Um, oh, that won't make any sense at all. I have to. Two. Yeah.
3: Let me, but we're, we're running out of time here. I've got to take a break. We'll come back to this in just a few minutes. Okay. Um, I want to just mention that there's other great programs on the Zone Broadcast Network at xzbn.net that deals with the paranormal and things of that nature. So if you have an interest in this sort of discussion, there's a lot of good programs at uh, xzbn.net. Take a look at those. And of course, my website, my blog is www.kevinrandall.blogspot.com, and we will be back with Larry Holcomb and The Presidents and UFOs, A Secret History from FDR to Obama, right after this, so please stick around. I am joined by Larry Holcomb. His book is the presidents and UFOs, a secret history from FDR to Obama. Uh, we were talking about MJ 12 and the, I guess the, uh, if there had been a crash of an alien spacecraft at Roswell, we would expect some kind of oversight committee to be, uh, created. I don't think Larry and I are ever going to come to a meeting of the minds on the legitimacy of MJ 12. Uh, I think we kind of exhausted that project or that discussion. Um, so let's talk about this Doug Locke guy that uh, you mentioned in your book. And by the way, you were, you were saying that you had read a book by Kehoe that had mentioned the crash in Roswell, but in going back, you couldn't find the reference. I think the book you were referring to was one by Frank Edwards called Flying Saucers Serious Business. And he talks about the Roswell case and about the only thing he gets right in that whole discussion is the fact that there is a town named Roswell in New Mexico and he spells it correctly. Uh, Practically everything else he says is kind of innuendo and hearsay and that sort of thing. But it does lead us to Roswell, so it's not a complete and total washout. But you uh, mentioned this fellow named Doug Locke in your book. Uh, Tell me about him.
4: Doug was uh, a friend of mine when I was uh, a junior and senior in high school. He was about 15 years older than I was. And I became friends with him. Uh, he uh, came to the little town of Sanson where I lived and opened up a service station. And I became friends with him and he'd let me work there occasionally. Anyway, he had told me that he had been a judo and he had been in the Air Force and he was a judo instructor, that he was sent to Japan uh, at the direction of General Thomas Power working for uh, General Curtis LeMay. Um, they uh, they uh, decided that they needed pilots to be instructed in Judo, so they sent requests for 24 people to volunteer to go to uh, Japan that, to be taught Judo by the uh, uh, Coding Institute. Anyway Doug came back he was stationed at Fort Bliss and he became a judo instructor
3: well let's let's let me break in here and, and, and say that Fort Bliss is in El Paso Texas which is what three hours from Roswell
4: right right and as a judo instructor he's instructed not only pilots from Fort Bliss but pilots from surrounding bases and that would be uh, would be Roswell he told me
3: Wait! Uh-huh. Wait a minute! Wait a minute! Wait a minute! Fort Bliss is an army post.
4: Fort. What have I got?
3: To... Oh no! I'm sorry. I, I. Yeah, Bliss is an army post. Isn't it in El Paso? Fort,
4: Fort Bragg, uh, the. It's no longer. No, I think
3: it's Fort Bliss.
4: Wait a minute. Wait a minute. I, I got. I got documents from the Air Force right here.
3: Okay. Uh.
4: Biggs Air Force Base. I'm sorry.
3: No, it's Biggs Army Airfield.
4: Well, it's it's right here from from the Air Force. It says assignment and geographical location. He was attached to the 810th I- Operation Squadron at Biggs Air Force Base, Texas.
3: Okay. Well, I'm I I've been to Biggs. I've flown in and out of it as a, a military pilot, and it's uh, it's uh, Army Airfield. But I guess that's really not the crucial part of the story anyway. So he's at at Biggs Army Airfield, which is part of the Fort Bliss uh, Military Reservation. Okay, so he's teaching judo to the pilots. And I will say that uh, during my Air Force career, I did get instruction in knife fighting. So um, that's not completely outside the bounds of possibility.
4: Yeah, so So he's- You're right. Fort Fort Bliss is there, too, because I was stationed at Fort Bliss for a while. There you go. And and Biggs Air Force Base was right across the desert from it. Um, So (laughs) anyway,
3: anyway, we've got that straight.
4: He I had read two of Kehoe's books, Flying Saucers Are Real and Flying Saucers from Outer Space in my high school library. And I was taken by Kehoe and his passion for the subject. Um, unlike uh, Georgia Damsky, who I thought was a nut. But uh, in any case, uh, I was reluctant to mention my interest in flying saucers to Doug because I thought he'd lambast me. You know, you know, you're a silly kid. You believe in that stupid stuff. When I finally got up the nerve and mentioned it to him, he said, Larry, it's all true. He said, I instructed pilots in judo when I was in the service in the air force and they told me stories that just scared the living daylights out of them and he says these were brave guys these guys that flew in in uh, the second world war in Korea um they were they were very brave guys and he said I remember one bomber pilot telling me that he flew crash saucer debris to Wright-Patterson, which I think it was Wright-Field at that time, uh, along with some strange alien bodies. And I've often wondered if that's this bomber pilot, and he was from Roswell, was uh, Pappy Henderson. But uh, uh, I don't know. It doesn't really make any difference. But the point is, Kevin, that the stories he told me, that Doug Locke told me, is an exact Overlay of the story that broke in 1980. 20 years later. So what he's telling me, this simple airman, this judo instructor, is telling me the same stories that came out in 1980. It's a it's a perfect match, uh, and I, he can't he couldn't have made it up because it hadn't broken. Uh, the only possible answer, unless you can come up with a better one, is that I'm making it up. That he never told me anything like that. But you know, that's that's my word.
3: But uh, we can't we can't verify the, with him uh, what he told you, can we?
4: We can't verify that he was a judo instructor and that he told me these stories. But because the stories are so similar. To the stories that broke 20 years later that uh, and it, it, he's believe me he was not the kind of guy to believe in something like that um, did you did you vet his
3: credentials
4: uh, yeah I've got a letter uh, from the Air Force I wrote the Air Force and wanted to see if I could get documentation on him uh, the uh, National Personnel Records Center sent me a letter back and said that it couldn't they couldn't do it because his Air Force records were destroyed in a large warehouse fire uh, which I'd already heard probably would be the case. I heard this from uh, a general officer that this Air Force fire, uh, uh, destroyed personnel records uh from 1947 through 1963 starting with h going through z so that would be locked would be in there
3: but but, but 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 the letter doesn't really say that does it it that, said if he was a member of the military at the time his records may have been in the part that was destroyed
4: uh wait a minute Oh, that's saying that it, they were. the The letter says the fire destroyed the major portion of records of Army military personnel from 1912 to 1959, and records of Air Force personnel with sure names Hubbard through Z for the period 1947 through 1963.
3: Yes, but that does not that does not mean his record was there. It means those records were destroyed. You see what I'm saying?
4: Uh, it's not it's
3: not it's not verification of his military service because there are no records. They were burned. The second no no first,
4: no, no, no no. I've got they sent me one sheet, information okay. releasable under the Freedom of Information Act. Okay. M- name, Douglas T. Locke, branch of service, serial number, US Air Force, AF AI 14, so on. <laughs> So David, you
3: did, so so they did verify his existence in the Air Force.
4: They did, yes. Okay. And, and that he, his assignment was the 810th Operations Squadron at Biggs Air Force Base, Texas.
3: That came from, that came from the center in St. Louis then.
4: That's right. National okay. Archives okay. and Records Administration.
3: Well, the reason I press on that point, and, and it gets back to Willingham, is, is that, uh, Willingham used the same excuse. Well, my records were burned in the in the great fire, but it turns out that the, there's a air reserve center in Denver, Colorado, that has an awful lot of the uh, the Air Force records, and I was able to get records from there and learn learn a great deal about Willingham. So that that was why I kind of pressed that point, simply to make sure that we'd gotten actual physical documentation to vet his service. Right. So okay, that's good. Oh, uh, so-, so he. You know, so he talked He talked to people who flew wreckage from Roswell to Wright Field.
4: Right. But he also talked to pilots that in, were told to engage these objects. And that scared them because the objects were so far superior. I mean, they'd fly circles around them and then literally take off at, at fantastic speeds. Of course, it, it wasn't even only the pilots that were seeing these things. There were a number of scientists in New Mexico that saw them. Uh, you remember... Um, uh,
3: Charles Dr- Moore. Yeah, Dr.
4: Charles Moore. You must he be was, a mind reader.
3: He's not yeah. a doc- he was not a doctor. He got an honorary degree uh, just as he retired. We're going to have to take a break here. Okay. The book is uh, Presidents and UFOs: A Secret History from FDR to Obama. The website is Larry Holcomb, and that's an e at the end of Holcomb uh, to take uh, to get some additional information. Uh, the my blog is www.kevinrandall.blogspot.com. and uh, the book we kind of talked about is case mj-12 which came out a few months ago it's an updated version of the book that i had done a decade and a half ago i think when we come back we're going to talk a little bit more about uh, these sorts of things and i'm going to find out about jimmy carter's ufo sighting from uh, larry holcomb we will be back right after this so stick around <laughs>
0: Christopher Fulton is a survivor of the National Security State. All he wanted to do was preserve history when he acquired a Cartier watch from the estate of President Kennedy's personal secretary. But that simple act set off a terrible chain reaction. He was pursued by the US Justice Department and the FBI, thrust into the middle of the US government's Assassination Records Review Board, even monitored and pursued by the Russian government. All because that Cartier watch was the missing link of evidence, a timepiece worn by JFK that fateful day in Dallas, a link resulting in Christopher being incarcerated and attacked for nine years because he opened a hidden chapter in history. The intriguing journey outlined fully in Christopher Fulton's memoir, The Inheritance, is available now through trineday.com or Amazon.com. The Inheritance, Poisoned Fruit of JFK's Assassination by Christopher and Michelle Fulton is a must-read, an incredible tale of how easily our own government can overrule justice. The Inheritance, Poisoned Fruit of
3: JFK's Assassination. I am joined by Larry Holcomb, The Presidents and UFOs: A Secret History from FDR to Obama is his book. His website is larryholcomb.com. We were talking about Doug Locke and his experiences when we went away, and I think we pretty well ironed out that the fact he wasn't—he was an air member of the Air Force—and the documentation supports that. And the reason I kind of pressed that is uh, I've had a number of people t- give me documents about their military service. And when I've gone to a disinterested source such as St. Louis and the Air Reserve Center in in Denver, Colorado, I find out that the the documents they gave me have been altered. So I always like to get them from a a independent source in that way. Um, And one thing I wanted to get into before we we close things out today is, uh, of course you talk about the um, sightings of the presidents. And I wondered what you thought about Jimmy Carter's UFO sighting.
4: Uh, it's very interesting. Uh he was uh, I think at Alliance Club. Uh he was president of uh might have been I don't know, he was the director or something of of, of the state. And uh he was uh He was the governor. In- well, he wasn't the governor at that time. I think he was um I don't think he was the governor at that time. I think that was before he was the governor. I thought he was the he,
3: governor at the time it happened, but irrelevant he, point. Let's
4: he about. was, anyway, he was at a Lions Club meeting because he was a, 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 the district, uh, district chairman. Um, and uh, uh, they were standing outside at night, outside of a restaurant where they're going to have the meeting, and he saw this object, they all saw it, that uh, was quite large. Um, I think he said it was about the size of a full moon. It and if I recall correctly, uh, he said it changed colors and it was moving. Um, but uh, I can't recall exactly. He said whether he said it changed from an orange to a bluish or or something. And and the object uh, the object was moving. He ended up filing a, a UFO sighting report on him, which is in in the public domain now. So he had a sighting, but of course, like other presidents who've talked about UFOs, when they get into office, you don't hear a peep out of them, and uh, that was the case with uh, with Carter. Uh,
3: other other presidents seeing UFOs?
4: Yeah. Um, um, Ronald Reagan saw saw UFOs twice. He was on a private jet, and they say he saw one and had the pilot chase the thing.
3: Well, wait, wait. Let me let me rephrase my question. Any other presidency flying saucers? Oh, uh, see the difference?
4: <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, uh, one would assume. I don't think, no, Reagan probably referred to it as UFO because UFO was the common term used used then. Uh, like you said earlier, I like the term flying saucer, but this was obviously something very unusual, and the thing, when they started chasing it, the thing just streaked away at uh, some incredible speed. Um... Could it have been something prosaic at that time? It's very possible. It could have been some something experimental. But he also saw a what appeared to be a alien craft on the ground on a road in front of him, and he was going to a party at. Um, I forget whose house it was it may have been shirley mclean uh uh lucille ball i think it was and he told them about this object that was sitting on the ground and sort of blocking their way in the road and he said that's why he was late he and nancy both saw it um so um he I don't think Reagan would go to a party and I forget who else was there. Steve Allen, I believe. Uh and he, Steve Allen talked to him at length about it. He apparently was very interested in it. Um so uh that's Reagan's story in in a short capsule.
3: Before. Are are these are these tales related in your book? Uh yes. So if they and there'd be more information about yeah, them.
4: Yeah, 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 much more much more um so uh and uh, then you had jerry ford um who was wrote a letter to mendel rivers when he was in the uh, the house of representatives and said that trying to get congressional hearing on ufos because of the cons- all of his constituents uh in michigan were hammering him both these sightings that they were having in Michigan. You remember the the Michigan flap in, in like 1966 or something in that time frame. I don't it know. Was,
3: it was, um, yes, it was 1966. Yeah. It was in the Ann Arbor Dexter, Michigan area.
4: Yes. Yeah. And
3: it's, and it's where Jalen Hynek said it was based on swamp gas.
4: Right. Right. Uh, but the interesting thing there is, uh, that, uh, Jerry Ford never spoke about it in in office. I did find in the Ford Library uh, letters from Heinick to Donald Rumsfeld uh, stating that uh, according to your your request, uh, Don, uh, according to your request, I'm sending some uh, new data that we. Have gotten. This is when he was with Center for UFO, or heading up the Center for UFO Studies, and, um, and he enclosed some documents to Rumsfeld and a letter, a letter back from Rumsfeld thanking Heinek for the information, and if he found anything else new, please, if you would, pass it on to him. Now, was this Rumsfeld's own interest, or was it the interest of his boss, Jerry Ford? Uh, I don't know. In any case, it is. It's certainly very interesting.
3: Um, but that was, of course, that was after Project Blue Book and and Heineken, uh, of course, was no longer uh, the consultant to Blue Book because it didn't exist. So, Right. Um, how did the Condon Committee affect the presidential views of UFOs quickly because we're running short on time?
4: Uh, I think it was a uh, total white, whitewash. Condon didn't believe in them, thought it, it was pure fancy, uh, folly. Uh, he had his mind made up before he even spent two years uh, with his people researching it. And uh, his report that he wrote, the Condon report on the Colorado project, was vastly different from the report that the scientists working for him. Made. I think there were, he wrote two reports, two sections and then the scientists wrote two sections and they were vastly different. And it's, it's, it's at the same time up the road in Colorado Springs, uh, the, at the Air Force Academy of uh, physics class was teaching its students that there may be as many as uh, four different races visiting Earth. And back in, in Denver, Uh, The University of Denver is collecting the half a million dollars from the Air Force.
3: Uh, It's the University of Colorado in Boulder.
4: University of Colorado, okay.
3: Well, I didn't want to give the University of Denver a bad name. I mean... (laughs) (laughs) Trying to protect the University of uh, Denver.
4: I'm getting old. Uh, Sometimes these facts uh, (laughs) escape me.
3: (laughs) That's what the Internet is for. Yes. (laughs) Yes, <laughs> to help you out. Oh, well, yeah,
4: and it does all the time.
3: There was there was clearly a dichotomy between or amongst the various people in the Air Force about what what was going on and what is accurate and what is not accurate. So, right. the fact that the Condon Committee, which was a civilian organization, was saying one thing and the Air Force had a textbook out saying something else is is uh, you know two different matters. But it's a point that they really hadn't coordinated the information or the intelligence. Uh, Larry, we're going to have to let you go. We're running out of time once again.
4: Well, I enjoyed uh, it.
3: The, the book is The Presidents and UFOs, A Secret History from FDR to Obama. The website is LarryHolcomb.com for additional information. And as I say, uh, take a look at www.kevinrandall.blogspot.com. Larry, I uh, enjoyed the conversation and we'll have you back sometime. Okay. Okay. Uh, things you need to know before we go, uh, www.iuforrc.com is the new reporting center, the international UFO reporting research center. I'll be working as the lead investigator on that looking into UFO sightings. So, uh, there you go. If you're interested in the paranormal and there's a lot of different areas of the paranormal, you can take a look at it at xzbn.net. I, uh, and am fans of some of the programs uh, there as well and listen to them when I get a chance. And uh, the other thing you all should know is that um, next week we will be, I will be joined by Mark O'Connell in what I think of his season two, it'll be show number three. We'll be talking about uh, J. Allen Hynek. Uh, Mark O'Connell wrote the book on J. Allen Hynek. He wrote a biography, J. Allen Hynek. And this was kind of inspired by the project blue book program that, uh, aired recently on the History Channel and I wanted to get his take on what he thought about um, um, how they presented Hynek and the things that Hynek did. And I thought it would be an interesting thing to see how far off the rails they might have gone and learn a little bit more about Jalen Heineck When I was doing some research into the Michigan sightings, I discovered that the swamp gas explanation that Hynek gave, which I thought was kind of off the cuff, turned out to be um, Uh, something that he truly believed at the time he said it. He was more behind it than I would have thought. So we'll take a look at that and learn some things about uh, Jalen Hynek and the Center for UFO Studies and what his uh, UFO research taught him. Uh, My books that you should be looking for is Roswell in the 21st Century, of course, Encounter in the Desert, which is the Lonnie Zamora sighting in depth, and uh, Case MJ-12, which has relevance to today's program. Um, I will be back in a hundred and... What is it, 168 hours? I forget now. 167 hours with a uh, with Mark O'Connor. We'll be talking UFO. So thanks for listening.
2: If you are looking for a safe, zero-calorie natural option to the harmful artificial sweeteners on the market today, just like sugar, is what you're looking for.